Nine years ago today, our life changed. I can remember I was sitting in class down in uh, Sewanee, and I got a text from Megan telling me that she was going into labor, so I hopped in the car, left class, and sped up Interstate 24 to get back to Nashville. We went to the hospital at uh, about 5 o'clock that evening, got checked in, and Montgomery was born at 2.40 a.m. Uh, on uh, Tuesday, July the 7th. Megan and I became brand new parents just uh, a year, just over a year after we were married, and we entered a whole new chapter of our lives. They say that if you want to see your own baggage or your own unfinished business, look at your children. You ever heard that before? You love them more than words can express, but the truth is we can see a lot of ourselves in our children. They get our good qualities and our not-so-good qualities. But when they struggle, we struggle. I had a, a close friend from college who told me after his first child was born that he had an entirely new appreciation for John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the bottom line of the Christian faith. Other than Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul is the greatest figure in the history of Christianity. His letters are the earliest documents that we study because they expound upon the Christian message and the gospel message and why it is so important, why it is life-changing. And so today, we're starting a brand new uh, series on Paul's letter to the Romans, which is perhaps his most famous letter. Romans is full of theology and full of insight, and anybody who follows Jesus needs to study and wrestle with this powerful epistle. I want to give you an overview of a background today as we begin this series, uh, a, a background of Romans. It's the only letter that Paul wrote to the church or to a church that he did not establish himself. Uh, his other letters are to churches where he had already been, where he had planted them and he was checking in on them, but that's not the case with Romans. He's writing to the Romans on a return visit to Corinth around 57 AD, telling them that he plans to visit them after he makes a trip to Jerusalem. Paul wants to expand his mission field to Spain, so he's writing to the Romans in hopes that they will support his missionary journeys further into the Western Hemisphere. He wanted to get Rome on board. Because he's never been to Rome, he begins the letter with an introduction an introduction to his ministry and to his teachings. The theme of Romans can actually be found in chapter 1, and Mary Claire read these two verses, verses 16 and 17, where Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, 
For as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Now we need to remember that Paul was somewhat of a controversial figure in the first century because of his inclusion of the Gentiles. Paul had a passion for spreading the gospel message to both Jew and Gentile alike. And he was criticized for this. And so he spends a portion of Romans justifying his own teaching and his own background. One of the main themes of Romans is the word righteousness. And by righteousness, Paul is talking about establishing a right relationship with God. For Paul, if a person is righteous, it means that they have a right relationship with God, and that is demonstrated in the way that they talk and think and treat other people. For Paul, the Christian faith is not about what we can do for God, but what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. The gift of Christ is the gift of grace that we do not earn or deserve but we accept it through faith. So in writing to the Romans, Paul is presenting an overview of his theology, specifically this idea of being justified by grace through faith. So as we study this letter, there are a few uh, terms or phrases that we need to have on our radar screen. The first one is righteousness, meaning a right relationship with God. The second is justification by grace through faith. We focus on what God has done for us in Christ and we accept it through faith. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a free gift. The next term is reconciliation. Through Jesus Christ, God is reconciling all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles alike, to himself despite our flaws and despite our sinful nature. Redemption. Even though we are held hostage to sin, God defeats sin through the cross and resurrection and then sends his spirit to guide us as we seek to live faithful lives. And the last word is sin itself, that which separates us from God. It's our brokenness. Paul says this in Romans 7. He says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. In other words, as human beings, we do things that we know are wrong, yet for some reason we can't stop from doing these things. This is the human condition, the human predicament. We are not perfect, and we are all in need of God's grace and mercy, which is freely given to us through Jesus Christ. Now that's just a very quick overview and intro to the letter of Romans. What I'd like to do this morning is turn ahead to Romans chapter 5, where Paul writes this. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I believe that there are certain things that are universal for all of us as human beings, meaning I believe that there are certain things 
that all of us would agree are true. First of all, we all want to be loved, appreciated, and respected. Secondly, we all search for meaning and purpose in our lives and we want our lives to matter. We want to make a difference. Third, we all seek to form and sustain meaningful relationships with other people because by our very nature, we are social creatures. We are not meant to live alone. Fourth, we all want to find happiness, however we describe or understand that word. And fifth, all of us, no matter who we are, have to deal with pain and disappointment and heartache in life. Nobody gets a pass when it comes to struggle. Now, some people experience more pain than others, but as human beings, this is unavoidable. This is a given. Nobody gets a pass on this. We all have to experience pain and heartache and disappointment in life. And so if you've lived for any period of time, then you know that the pain of life is real. The pain of loss is real. The pain of fear is real. The pain of grief is real. Sometimes things happen in life that shake us to our core and that leave us feeling like we can't go on. And for some reason, there are certain people in life who seem to have far more share, more than their share of pain and suffering in life. And we really don't understand why, we just know that that's true. And so we never can really explain or give an adequate answer to the question, why? Why do certain things have to happen? Why do I have to go through this? Why cancer? Why divorce? Why a miscarriage late in the pregnancy? Why poverty? We come up with theories, but they are all inadequate. The question of theodicy, this idea of if God is all-powerful and omnipotent, then, then why do bad things have to happen in life? It's stumped theologians since the beginning of time. Philip Yancey calls it the question that never, ever, ever goes away. Now, over the years, when Woodmont folks have lost a family member or a loved one, I have given them a, a small gift, and it's a copy of a book that's written by Jerry Sitzer, who is a, uh, a, a professor at Whitworth University. And the book is called A Grace Disguised, and Sitzer is writing out of his own personal pain because he lost his his four-year-old daughter, his wife, and his mother in a car accident that he and his other children uh, survived. And so he's riding out of that pain. Three generations of women in his family were taken out with one car wreck, gone. And in the book, Sitzer talks about the soul and how the soul grows through loss and pain. He says, the soul is elastic, it's like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering Loss can enlarge its capacity for anger and depression, despair and anguish, which are all natural and legitimate emotions whenever we experience loss. But once it's enlarged, the soul is also capable of experiencing greater joy and strength and peace and love. Sitzer says those who suffer loss live suspended between a past for which they long and a future for which they hope. Catastrophic loss by its own definition precludes recovery it will either transform us 
or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There's no going back to the past which is gone forever, only going forward to the future which is yet to be discovered. Now, this book by Sitzer has been immensely helpful for me in dealing with my own pain and grief in life and for many others who are trying to cope with hardship and, and, and loss and grief and trying to move forward. And so it, this book, it helps you understand that as hard as pain is, as difficult as loss may be, it actually makes you stronger and it gives you a greater ability, a greater capacity to love and to care for other people. This is what makes us who we are. Now, of course, everybody deals with pain in their own way. Some people will, will drink too much. Some people will turn to pills. We have an opioid crisis in our country, and I have no doubt that a big part of that is people trying to escape the pain or the meaninglessness in their life. <clears throat> Some people become sarcastic, and everything is funny or a joke. <clears throat> Some turn to work. They become workaholics. Some live in denial. But each of these things is only a temporary means of escape. We all have to deal with our own pain. We can't run from it. In the Bible, specifically in Romans and other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, we find some amazing passages that will give us inspiration and encouragement for pressing forward in life and dealing with pain, dealing with loss. We boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. If you can hold on to hope, if you can live with hope, then you still have something to believe in. And I've always said that faith and hope are two sides of the same coin. In Romans 8, Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. To the Corinthians, he says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. See, when it comes to dealing with, with pain and heartache in life, Paul has given us some powerful words that can keep us pressing forward, even in the midst of a dismal and what might seem like an impossible situation. There's a theologian, former pastor by the name of Rob Bell, and Rob Bell was an evangelical pastor before he um, became a celebrity, for lack of a better way to put it, but he wrote a, a book called Love Wins. And in the book, Bell talks about pain and suffering. And he says this, he says, love demands freedom. It always has and it always will. Love by its very nature is freedom. For there to be love, there has to be the option to not love, to turn the other way, to reject the love extended, to say no, Although God is powerful and mighty, when it comes to the human heart, God has to play by the same rules that we do. God has to respect our freedom to choose to the very end, even at the risk of the relationship itself. Because if at any point God overrides or co-ops or hijacks the human heart, robbing us of our freedom to choose, then God has violated the fundamental essence of what love even is. You see, in life, you cannot have love without freedom and without choice. And you cannot have love without risk, 
without the risk of loss and hurt and pain. So when we ask the question, why? Why do we have to go through some of the things that we do? Why do we suffer? Why do we struggle? Why do we have to hurt? Why do we have to say goodbye to the people that we love? We have to acknowledge that so many of the things that we suffer through in life are, are simply the result of being able to live and to love freely. And love does not control. And love always brings risk. And whoever said that life is supposed to be easy and free of pain, it's just not. Bell says this, people choose to live in their own hells all the time. We do it every time we isolate ourselves. We give the cold shoulder to someone who's slighted us. Every time we hide knives in our words. Every time we harden our hearts in defiance of what we know to be the loving, good, and right thing to do. He says, if we want isolation, despair, and the right to be our own God, then God graciously grants us that option. If we insist on using our God-given power and strength to make the world into our own image, then God allows us that freedom. If we want nothing to do with light and hope and love and grace and peace, then God respects that desire on our part and we are given a life free from any of those realities. If we want nothing to do with love, then we're given a reality free from love. But I do believe that we are here for a purpose, and Jesus reminds us of that purpose. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God has given each and every one of us the ability to be resilient, the ability to bounce back when terrible things happen. This is part of what I think it means to believe in the spirit of the resurrection. New beginnings are always available today, tomorrow, every day. This is what grace is all about. This is what forgiveness is all about. God gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance, and God calls us to do the same for other people. Not just to talk about doing it, but actually to do it. I believe with all my heart that, that God has given us this spirit of resilience. And if you look up that word, according to the American Psychological Association, resilience is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress. It means bouncing back from difficult experiences. Last summer, we were coming back from vacation, and I was reading a, an interesting article that was written in 2002, and it appeared in the Harvard Business Review, written by Diane Kotu. And she said that resilient people in life possess three defining characteristics. The first is they accept the harsh realities that are facing them. They come to terms with it. Secondly, they are able to find meaning and joy even in the midst of terrible times. And third, they have an uncanny ability to improvise and make do with whatever is at hand. They are survivors. The power of the gospel message is the good news of Jesus Christ, that pain and hardship and struggle and, yes, even death, do not have the final say. God always has the final say. This is also the message that we will find throughout Paul's letter to the Romans. David Moore was the third senior minister of, of Woodmont. He was here from 1980 to 1987. 
And uh, some of you were here, Woodmont back then, many of you were not, but uh, a big part of David's ministry was his wife, Dana. And um, in 1986, Dana lost her battle with cancer and it took a huge toll on David. And after he left Woodmont, he, he did some uh, postdoctoral work at Oxford and he wrote this little book and we have it in our bookstore. It's called The Liberating Power of Pain. And in the book, he says, the Christian faith is founded on the suffering of a single person Jesus of Nazareth, his constant pain brought on by rejection, misunderstanding, loneliness, and finally the crucifixion and resurrection vividly demonstrates the whole love of God. David says the model that we have in Jesus is that while God does not cause or desire our suffering, that very suffering can be the means by which we are caught up in an ever deeper relationship with God and with other people. We boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. The gospel message is one that reminds us that no matter what happens, no matter what we go through, there's always hope, and hope does not disappoint. And if we can live in hope, then we can make it through anything that life brings our way with God's help. Amen.